0: Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. In Luke chapter 8, we're continuing on. Luke comes into an area in the Gospels where he continues developing a a demonstration of the kingdom of God. Remember, he's declared the deity of Christ. He's then demonstrated, and then he's declared the kingdom in chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain, and then we get into the demonstration, the outworking, the fleshing out of what it is like to live in the kingdom and be a king's kids. And then in in, uh, chapter 7, as we continue forward, We start getting some examples of this in the centurion uh, whose servant is healed just by the Word. Then that's all it takes, the Word of God, the authority of God. When he says it, it's done. And then uh, the, the daughter of the widow of Nain, or the son of the widow of Nain, who is brought back to life, and the power of God. And then we get to John the Baptist, and as he's wondering, you know, all that I've worked for, all I've preached, all I've declared... Are you the coming one, or should we look for another one? And Jesus' answer is, look and see. What is happening? Is this an expression, a demonstration, an outworking? Is this the kingdom here on earth? And absolutely, right? The deaf hear, the lame leap, uh, the dead are brought back to life. The good news is preached. The captives are set free, and uh, and we see that. And then finally, it kind of finishes up with that, idea of uh, she who has been forgiven much loves much. And those people who were of the nation of Israel, who were Jewish by birth, who were worshipers of Yahweh God, they had the word, they had the prophets, they had the temple, they had all of the sacrifices, they had all of the system to serve the Lord but their heart was far from him. And they just didn't get it. When this lady came in and knelt at Jesus' feet. And wept and cleansed her feet with her tears. And her hair and poured uh, fragrant oil upon him. And, and, and Jesus said, this woman. She knows the kingdom. She knows who I am. And she is worshiping me. In spirit and in truth. Not just a hearer of the word, the declaration of the kingdom, but a doer of the word, of the kingdom of God. Well, we continue on now. In chapter 8, verse 1, now it came to pass, so we're moving along in the story. Afterward, after all these things that we just saw, he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's servant, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. If you will, let's just stop and pause and pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. And you've given us your Holy Spirit that we might be illuminated, that you would quicken us to see and hear and understand what the Spirit says to the church this morning. We give you all the glory, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus continues in his ministry. He's incredibly industrious. He is about his Father's business. And what is that business? Preaching Teaching, healing. Here it says, going from all of the cities and villages, both large and small, and preaching, and that's just to declare. And it says, and bringing the glad tidings. This idea of bringing the glad tidings, it's a a Greek word called euangelizo. Euangelizo is translated for us, evangelize or evangelizing, and this is that preaching, this is that bringing the good news, this is that bringing the glad tidings, he's going from city to village, and he's declaring the kingdom of God, the good news. We've seen it used in the scriptures many places in the New Testament, this word, euangelizo, Evangelizing is used 55 times. Luke in, in the Gospel, of Luke and in Acts, uses it over and over. In chapter 1, we saw the angel speaking to Zechariah and saying, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. To evangelize you, Zechariah, priest in the temple, offering prayers for the nation of Israel. What are you doing in here with me? I'm here to evangelize you, right? Is literally what we read in Luke 1.19. Then in Luke chapter two verse ten, we can't miss this one. Uh, in Luke chapter two, at verse ten, see if you can pick up on this one. Then the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you you anegaleed." So good tidings of great joy which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men and I just love that, right? The good news, the glad tiding, unto you this day is born a Savior. Isn't that kind of where our focus is starting to head now, right? After all the thanksgiving and, and, and what we have so much to give thanks for as we, we gather here this morning. And we live in this community, we live in this state, we live in this nation, we just live. God's given us a life. And we declare that, and and it's so beautiful. In uh, chapter 3, in verse 18, John the Baptist, he was the evangelist, not just the Baptist. It says in 318, and many other things uh, in John the Baptist's exhortation preached, okay? He evangelized. Unto the people. John the Baptist was an evangelist. And of course, Jesus Himself, we read in chapter 418, where he declares, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to evangelize to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are bruised. This is the good news. That's the gospel. We're free. <laughs> Hell lost another one. I am free. Jesus won another one, right? Amen. This is good news, glad tidings. And it goes on. In chapter 4, Jesus said to them, I must evangelize the kingdom of God to the other cities. That's why I'm sent, okay? I'm here to bring you these glad tidings. Um, And in uh, 722, just last week, we were looking at John the Baptist saying, Jesus answering said to them, that's the the disciples of John the Baptist, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor, the gospel is preached, declared, (laughs) heralded to the whole world. And now this morning we see it came to pass afterward that He, Jesus, went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with Him. The preaching is not just a matter of getting out and declaring the kingdom. The preaching, the euangelizo, the evangelizing of the people showing the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is all about. He's a picture, right? We've talked about this over the last couple weeks. We have the law, right? And, and, And Jesus says, I've got a new kingdom. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new law. There's a new Lord. There's a new love. And this idea of having that outline, as we would in the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, only becomes vivid and alive and real when we color it in. And when we start seeing Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of the law, the embodiment of the law. Jesus is all. He's Lord of all. And so this is what we're seeing here. He's preaching uh, and teaching wherever he goes. And the 12 were with him. We saw that. He went up on the mountain, prayed, and selected those 12. We discussed that a couple weeks back. Um, And it says certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities or sicknesses and then he lists a couple of them here mary called magdalene out of whom he came had come seven demons and joanna the wife of cusa herod steward and susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance if you remember looking in the gospel of matthew in chapter 8 jesus teaching his followers his disciples to count the cost as you sign up to follow me, just recognize that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. That means that he just went about from city to city, town to town. He didn't have any stable income. Nobody hired him or paid his wages, but he had followers and out of their substance, they provided for the ministry going forward it works the same way in the church today we just prayed for it a couple of minutes ago as we started the service and collected the offering and this is the way the kingdom moves forward out of a heart that has been blessed blessings flow out of those whom have been forgiven much much love flows and this is this is the pattern this is the picture and we see these women um, pointed out here out of their substance I I love this and They've been healed, it says, of evil spirits and sicknesses. And then we get the first one, Mary, called Magdalene. Okay, this Mary, Magdalene, is a is a person often, I believe, mischaracterized in the scriptures. It's been kind of a thing in the church for you can go back in the commentaries, hundreds to even thousands of years, and well not thousands, but hundreds of years, a thousand years ago. And they would denigrate Mary. And they would talk of her as a wicked woman, as a immoral, maybe even sexually immoral woman. And you know, there is no place in the scripture that indicates any of that. Not one place. All we know about her is that she had these devils, these demons that were pestering her that were giving her grief, right? And people think of all kinds of super dark, negative things. And then she's saved, the before Christ and the after Christ. And then she's just this amazing, wonderful woman. But in reality, she was like you and like me. You know, and when you think of all the different demons that she might have been cast out, it says seven here. And just a a little thought that sparked in my head. You know, have, maybe if you're, you're familiar with the Roman Catholic tradition, you've been raised that way or something, you may have come across something known as the seven deadly sins. Have you ever heard of the seven deadly sins? You know what they are? <laughs> if you've been to the catechism, you probably do, right? Um, the seven deadly sins, and who knows, maybe this is what Mary suffered from. It's not too different from some of us in this room. Pride. Envy. Wrath, gluttony, lust, sloth, and greed. Ouch. That's not so wicked and vile and sexually immoral and dark, and that's, like, pretty common. It is in the world today. And the reality is it's something that we have to be On guard for. If you remember, Jesus in his Sermon on the Plain declaring the life in the kingdom ended with this bit of discernment, making proper judgment. He said that many of us are like that person with a plank in our eye trying to remove a speck from somebody else's eye. And he goes on to talk about a good tree only bears good fruit, a bad tree only bears bad fruit. And he would encourage us in our discernment to discern discern correctly, discern appropriately. First, get the plank out of your own eye, pride, envy, wrath, gluttony, lust, sloth, and greed, so that you can see clearly to help your neighbor with the speck in their eye. To be fruit inspectors, not speck inspectors, to, to look and make, Proper discernment. The fruit of the Spirit, we understand, from Galatians 5, 22, and 23, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And it's kind of interesting, if you put up these seven deadly sins, and, and by the way, if you're looking for the seven deadly sins in the Bible, you're never going to find a list. There isn't a list. It's something that somebody has just um, distilled <laughs> Out of the scriptures, okay, and a systematic theology, where they would go and they would look at things like uh, soteriology, that is the study of salvation and how we get saved. Or harmatology, the study of sin and what sin is. And if you go to a seminary and you study systematic theology and you go down the list and you get into the S's or you get into H or harmatology. You get into sin then you'll study all about sin and what, everything the bible says about sin and they'll cherry pick all these verses and put them together in a pile and teach you all about sin and that's where in the 400s and up to pope gregory in the 600s it was distilled into the seven deadly sins and pretty much every sin that we deal with in our life and maybe mary magdalene dealt with in her life could fall under any one of these seven Okay? And yet, what's so interesting is there is a place in the Bible where you will see the fruit of the Spirit. Not the specks. Okay? There's a list of specks, but there's fruit of the Spirit, right? And it's so fun that you can take the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control and those pair perfectly against or counter to these sins. So if you want to figure out how to get beyond pride and envy, wrath and gluttony and so on look to the Spirit. Look to Jesus Christ and, and allow that fruit to bloom in your heart to replace what is negative there. So Mary Magdalene, what do we know about her? really we only know that her past was not too different from most people we know but her future was brilliant it was beautiful it was golden and here she is now having been delivered from her past life and now in her present life she is a follower of jesus christ okay and she's bearing fruit in her life. And she's recorded several different times in the Scriptures here. Mary Magdalene gets uh, pretty good ink in the Bible. Um, And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. Now, steward means that Cusa was a very prominent, very important person in King Herod's household. He would have been his house manager. He would have probably been his investment broker. He would have been a person who was trusted with running Herod's empire for him. And Cusa had a wife, Joanna, and Joanna was a follower, a supporter, an encourager of Jesus Christ. And we also see a a lady by the name of Susanna. We know nothing about her in the rest of the Bible. Her name means Lily. Greek is, uh, uh, Susanna is Greek for the name Lily. We know her to be Lily, and that's about all you can figure out from her, except that she loved the Lord. And it says, out of their uh, uh, substance, they provided for him. Rather interesting in this, in providing for him. um, Oh, there we go. I wonder where I put my notes. This word for provided for, is uh, diacono diakoneo, I'm sorry, diacaneo. And the reason I bring that word up, not that you care, because nobody cares, raise your hand if you care. You do? Okay, well, for you that care, Diacaneo provided for, is the root word from which we get the word deacon, as in a deacon in the church. Diakoneo means to serve. It means to minister. It means to give of whatever's been given to you in the service of whoever your lord or master would be and so we see not just these three ladies mary magdalene joanna and susanna but throughout the scripture there's all kinds of deacons if you will diaconeos servants even unto jesus christ uh, that are women in the book of romans it's interesting uh in romans chapter 16 verse 1 Paul goes down a list of all the people to say howdy to, friends of his that he's known in the mystery all the years. And he says in 16.1 of Romans, I commend Phoebe, our sister, who is a deaconess in the church of Sancria. She is given a responsibility, a duty within the body of Christ to minister, to serve some aspect, some portion of the body, just like we have in this fellowship here. We have people, male and female, who are responsible for certain ministries and oversee some of them. Our Veritas Homeschool Ministry, or our Women's Ministry, or our Pure Word Ministry, or I go down the list, okay? I don't mean to leave you out if you're one of the people in charge of a ministry, but you may be a deacon or a diaconus, a servant of the Lord. He not only mentions Phoebe there in Romans, he also mentions um, Priscilla and Aquila, You might remember they were very instrumental in uh, evangelizing and starting the church in Corinth and then eventually over in Ephesus. And it's really rather curious to me that in the Bible, it calls them Priscilla and Aquila. Now, generally speaking, and the Bible holds this pattern, usually the man is named first, the the husband first, the wife second. But Priscilla gets top building. No doubt, she was a mover and shaker. She was somebody that got it done, right, got out there. And, and w- as we look at through the scriptures, right, Lydia, that uh, they met in Philippi, and she was responsible for the founding of that church. Um, Anna, we saw a couple chapters back, was there at the temple at the dedication of Jesus, right, and was able to bless Jesus. And we see uh, Dorcas or Tabitha in the book of Acts, right, uh, who's, who's died, and then uh, Philip comes along and and. She comes back to life. Uh, Mary and Martha, clearly servants of Jesus. The Bible is full of male and female servants, ministers to the gospel, to the cause of Christ, to the kingdom of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? And so, one of the things that is truly revolutionary about Christianity that we see from the very first chapter of the Scriptures is that men and women are equal in value, in dignity, in the eyes of God. Different roles different positions, different responsibilities, different duties, but by no means, no. there's no second class citizen in that regard, according to male or female. In our statement of faith, if you go onto the website under what we believe and you drop down to doctrines, in doctrine number four, uh, here at the Springs, you would read, we believe in the pattern and principle of male leadership. And responsibility in both the home and the church, according to the sacrificial example of Jesus. We believe this limits the roles of pastoral leadership and doctrinal authority to qualified men. And we cite here Corinthians chapter eleven, verses one through twelve, and first Timothy chapter two verses one through fifteen. So we do look to the scriptures as God laid out the order and responsibility as He created us in His image for His purposes to fulfill certain roles in His economy, that things would go well. And look at how He did this. He established first humans, right? Male and female, He established marriage, and then he have, they have children. He establishes the family, so there's marriage, there's the family, then there's community, there's the church, and there's civil government. These are all things we see in the Scriptures. And, and this is how... Things are to roll, but from the very beginning, and you should know this, you can go ahead, do your homework. Maybe you have. Look into all the other religious dogmas, doctrines, all of their scriptures, all of their teachings, and none of them elevate women to the place equal to in dignity and respect to a man. But God has always looked at it this way. And this is something that I think is really, really important for us to understand In that, I'm going to go on a a little bit of a Mike's moment, if you will. Pastors, I don't know what you want to call it. It's not really a rant. If we get down to point number eight in what we believe in our doctrines, in point number eight it says, we believe that God created man and that he created them male and female. As such, he created them different so as to complement and complete each other. God instituted monogamous marriage between male and female as the foundation of the family and the basic structure of human society. Therefore, the, therefore is really the, where the rubber meets the road. Therefore, we at the Springs Calvary Chapel perform marriages in accordance with the Bible consistent with the Old and the New Testament. And we have scripture quotes out of Genesis, Matthew, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, numerous ones, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, to establish that. If you're interested, you can do a little bit of digging in that area. And you're welcome to come up and talk to me about all of this. The reason I even bring that up, tomorrow in Washington, D.C., in the Senate, Chuck Schumer is going to push forward a vote on what is known as the Respect for Marriage Act, that they're trying to push through Congress, it's really a disrespect for marriage act. There was a defense of the marriage act that was—it's part of the law of the land. It is today; it might not be tomorrow, but it is the defense of marriage act became part of the law of the land back in 1996, signed by President Bill Clinton in which it stated that marriage is between one man and one woman and that there would be no attacks against that. Now, this, quote, respect for marriage act, disrespect for marriage act opens a floodgate for every kind of marriage under the sun. And not only does it allow for that, but it also allows for um, undermining and criminalizing our beliefs, our expressions of our beliefs, and our practice of faith. That we could find ourselves in a country where believing what I've just said could get me sent to reorientation camp or prison or whatever. This is a slope that we're on. Again, and I know I feel like I I, want to I know I have you captive. You came here to hear about Jesus Christ and Mike is ranting about a law going on in Washington. But these are the things that are happening day by day, and it's why it's so important for us to be aware of what is happening in the world today. God has blessed America and given us unique freedoms that no society has experienced in all of human history, not only to enjoy our Lord and worship our Lord, but to evangelizzo. To preach the kingdom, to share, to live it out, to show it to the world. This is how it works. It's good. It's beautiful. One man, one woman, marriage, children, family, church, government. God has a design that works really, really well. Okay, I'll reel it back in. You can get that out of three little verses and these three women that provided out of their substance for Jesus Christ. It is interesting to see that as you go on through the scriptures, you're going to find these three. Uh, In Luke chapter 23 at verse uh, 49, it says, this is at the foot of the cross as he is being crucified. It says, all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. These are faithful women. These, These are women that are in it. To win it. They're they're going the distance all the way with Jesus. The good, the bad, the ugly, they're there. And they deserve, I believe, a moment as we've given them this morning in recognition of who they are and wonderful role models for our families, for our women, for our daughters to be able to grow up and say, you know what, you can do the same thing. You can give what you've got to Jesus Christ and go with him the distance. Okay, moving on. Verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. And then comes the parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. You have to imagine that at the moment, right? Because he's with these followers, matetes, right? Students, learners, people who are going the distance with him. And as he's demonstrating the kingdom of heaven before them, and as these women and the 12 are there living out the kingdom, then he stops and preaches to the crowd and he declares to them, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like with a parable. Now, this parable... Greek word para bole. Para means alongside, bole means to cast or to throw. I like to throw a ball when you think of bole, okay? But the idea is to take a well-known uh, event or, or circumstance in the world that we all understand and take something from heaven that might be difficult for us to really wrap our head around and throw that teaching about the kingdom of heaven alongside the world that we live in. And when you see them side by side, you'll go... I get it. It makes perfect sense. Now, it's interesting because it says um, in verse 9, his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? What are you trying to say? What's the point of all of this? Um, And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing They may not understand it. So what is Jesus doing here? He's he's telling these, these parables, you could say these enigmas, these riddles, these dark sayings, things that aren't fully transparent in the beginning. He even calls them mysteries, mysterion, okay? Things that are veiled, secret things. Basically what he's saying is, I'm telling you a secret. It's a secret of the kingdom of God. Well, why are you telling me a secret? Why don't you just say it, Jesus? If you remember, he's changed course, he's come under attack. The nation, the religious leaders, they're starting to persecute him. And he's starting to run into adversity, headwinds. You know what you do when you're sailing and you need to go into a t- headwind? You tack. You turn the sail on angle, and the way that this works with the foil, it moves you into up through the wind, but you can't go directly into it, and Jesus is tacking. He's now using parables because they want to get him, and so he'll tell you about the kingdom of heaven, but he's going to do it in a riddle or something that is yet to be revealed. As we look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we get a little insight. In verse 6, we read, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, this is a quote out of Isaiah 64, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. It goes on in explanation a little bit more, but I'm going to take you to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, the upper room. And in John, chapter 14, at verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He goes on to explain it in chapter 16, at verse 7, we, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He goes on in verse 13. He, the spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So now, Jesus, going from city to village, evangelizing the kingdom of heaven, is now beginning to preach or teach in parables, mysteries. But they're not mysteries in the way that you can't know it. They're actually mysteries that are meant to be known. But to know them, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you're antagonistic, if you're coming up against Jesus, if you're trying to find fault, if you're trying to prove there's something wrong with the Word of God, you're not going to understand it. But a simple person can understand it. These parables are meant to be easy. They have one basic point, okay? And in this, Jesus is trying to help them see this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And look how it it starts out. He says, um, verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, okay? Jesus is going out, preaching, teaching, evangelizing, healing. The seed is, is the word of God. This is, this is the instrument that gets it done. Now, some people have come up to me and asked me, what do you, who's the sower? Who's the sower in this parable? I will tell you, it doesn't matter. <gasps> some of you are like, it's Jesus. I know it's Jesus. I can't believe you just said that. Well, he's speaking or referring to himself. He's trying to demonstrate, I'm going from town to town. I am evangelizing I am sharing the word, the good news, the glad tidings of the kingdom of heaven. So as he talks about this, he's talking about himself. I'm the sower. And if you know how it works, if you've seen it in simple societies, they'll go out and they'll prepare a field for harvest or for planting, and they'll take and they'll broadcast. They'll take out of their bag a grand, uh, handful of kernels and just throw it as they walk through the fields and throw it. Well, in doing this, a lot of seed gets scattered where it's meant to be in the field that was prepared for it, but a lot falls onto not prepared or poor soils. And so this is something they would understand in a heartbeat. But it doesn't really matter who is scattering the seed, okay? Let's say we want to plant a cornfield, okay? And and Teddy has some corn. He goes out and he throws the corn in the cornfield. What do you think is going to grow? Good! You guys are, you're, you're, see these parables aren't that hard. Well, what if Mike, okay, because we know Teddy, he's cool. He's a farmer. He knows what he's doing, right? Um, (laughs) Let's say Ben has some seed, and and Ben goes into his field and casts seed, and it's corn. What do you think is going to grow? Really? It doesn't matter if it's Ben or if it's Teddy, it's still corn? Why is that? Because the important thing is the seed, not the sower. The sower is the evangelist. They're the broadcaster. And we're going to see throughout the scriptures, there are many people scattering seed, the word of God, the glad tidings, the good news of the kingdom of God. But what is important is the seed. Do you know what's just amazing about seeds? They're amazing, right? The, The largest seed is a coconut. The smallest seed is something that comes out of an orchid, as far as we know. But seeds are amazing in this in the e- in the pyramids in Egypt they found seeds that date approximately 2000 even 3000 years old they've taken those seeds and germinated them that life that is in that seed was still in that seed and with the proper conditions it brought forth life and guess what grew out of that seed whatever kind of seed it was okay in this case they were kernels of wheat And wheat grew from that. And it's just amazing. But, you know, what's so interesting is what is in that seed, not only is it that spark of life, but there's this funny little thing called DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. And in it is the blueprint for life that determines what's going to come forth when that seed is planted and sprouts. What do you think comes out of scattering glad tidings, good news, the word of the kingdom? Love your enemies. Do good for goodness sake. Forgive freely. Discern correctly. You're going to get fruit. You're going to get the fruit of the spirit because you're planting, you're scattering good seed. But. And this is what happens. The parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. You know, some people might think we're just a little bit narrow in our reverence for the Word of God. All the time and effort we, plant, we put into reading it, studying it, teaching it, preaching it. Isn't that rather simple, Mike? I hear this from other pastors, you believe it or not, in our community. I'm not really a topical teacher. I don't pick a topic and talk about it on any given Sunday. We just go through the word, through the seed, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We just scatter the glad tidings and let the seed do what seeds do and grow. And yes, it's simple. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's simpler. A knucklehead like me couldn't do it or you, right? But that's the joy. That's why it doesn't matter who the sower is, but what is the seed? That's really the heart of this whole parable. But then there's a reaction to that seed. It says those by the wayside. There were four different types of outcomes to this broadcasting of the word of God. Okay. And one it says is like those by the wayside, those seeds that are falling along the wayside that are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. (gasps) Less you mean, if that seed actually did what it was supposed to do, they might have believed and they might have been saved. Yeah, that's the power of the word. It accomplishes that for which God sends it forth. Okay? Always, every single time. So when you have an opportunity, when I have an opportunity, my pastor told me when I was ordained as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to preach the word in season and out of season. If you were there that day, that's exactly what he said to me. And that anytime I get a pulpit, anytime I get a podium, anytime I get an opportunity to speak, I should speak the words of God because this is where the power is. Not my words, okay? But you preach the word of God and it will accomplish that for which God sent it forth. Now, some people will say, but you preached to that person at Thanksgiving dinner for the 45th time and nothing happened. It could be it's accomplishing that for which God sent it forth. Maybe it's just working that hard, hard, hard soil and just breaking it down and wheedling its way in. And it could be, and I I hate to say this, but sometimes it is the conviction, it is the condemnation that comes. The Spirit comes to convict of sin and judgment and righteousness. And sometimes just declaring the Word of God convicts a person, not that you convicted them. All you did was scatter the seed, but that seed landed on them, and ouch, that hurts. Pride, envy, gluttony, lust. Oh, what's up with that, right? It's the Word of God. It accomplishes what it's sent forth to do, but this path, it's just like on any field, right? We've got the hedgerows, if you will, or as you would go out into the field, wherever the people or the animals would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, those seed feet would just pound the path down to where it was so hard the seed couldn't penetrate. The other day I saw a cornfield that got harvested and as I'm coming up the road, I don't know what was up with this wagon, but there was like this corn just going up the road like nobody's business, man. They they must have sprung a leak of some kind. But you know, all the corn in all the world landing on all the highways ain't going to grow. It just can't, okay? There's no place for it to get root. And here it says the devil comes and takes it away, lest they believe and are saved. Up in the earlier part, it said the birds of the air come and snatch it away. We know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world who has blinded their minds that they cannot receive the good news, okay? And this is what the devil is all about. He comes and snatches those seeds. Does that mean you should stop? Broadcasting? No. Continue broadcasting and allow God to do what He will with that. But we move on to the next type of soil. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation follow, fall away, right? Um, These are those that are emotional, but there's no devotion, right? All emotion, no devotion. They're superficial. They're just shallow, right? And it, this idea that in, in Israel, if you go there, it's fun to visit, uh, but the land is like some of the rockiest land on the planet, and there's a layer of dirt in some places. In many cases, it's just bare rock everywhere you go, but there might be a layer of dirt. But unless the field has really been prepared, not so different from some of us here in the Snake River Plain with all this lava, right? You've got these blowouts where you've got these big piles of rock. Um, but you throw the seed in there, and it may sprout. It might get a little soil, a little moisture, a little warmth, and it might sprout. But there's no place for that root to go. And so it's just that that spontaneous, wow, I love the Word of God. This is so fun. I love going to church. Look at all the happy people. I like to sing. Whoa, cookies after, t- you got to be kidding me. I'm coming back rather shallow, okay, and there's no root, right? And when the sun comes out, when persecution comes, when you get home and tell your parents or your family or whatever what you've done, I, I, I ask Jesus into my heart, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven. And the persecution starts, the sun starts grilling you, and next thing you need, you just shrivel, right? Just like that plant and just die because there's no depth. And some of the seed, it's good seed, It's not the sower's fault, but it fell on bad soil, and it doesn't take root. In time of temptation, it falls away. Verse 14, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. I would say, and this is just my random guess. I have no surveys or polls or anything to support it other than just my life experience. But I'd say that probably describes a great majority of people sitting in a church on Sunday today. Not you guys. You're awesome. You're the good soil, okay? I'll check your heart, right? Fruit inspector, plank guy. I don't know. Take a look if God's talking to you. But this is, this is a real deal, right? the cares uh, being careful now full of care oh i just have so much worry so much anxiety so many doubts so many duties so many distractions all these things that are pulling away from being able to grow in christ the time that we need in prayer and devotion and fellowship and service And study, it takes time. It takes work and the cares of this world and riches. Riches? I like riches. Yeah, but you have to understand, everything that you own needs some form of maintenance, some form of protection, some form of stewardship. And a lot of people have more stuff than they know what to do with. And it'll wear you out, just keeping up with your stuff. The riches of this world, the cares of this world, and even the pleasures of this life. And these are things, often, they're not even wicked or evil. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about, like, marriage. One of the greatest pleasures you can have in the world. Well, you need to be careful if that is taking the front row over your walk with the Lord and your growth with the Lord. Cheryl will tell you all day long, go ask her after the service. There's one number one person, one man in her life. That's Jesus Christ. I come second. And that's what I was looking for. When I was looking for somebody to marry, I said, Lord, give me a Jesus girl. (laughs) Because I know if her heart is fixed on him and my heart, is fixed on him. Whatever cares, whatever riches, whatever pleasures would distract us from serving him. If he's our focus, he's always going to draw us closer together in him. And we'll be okay. But give me a Jesus girl any day. Right? And so we have to be careful for these cares and riches and pleasures. They just choke it out. Right? It's not that there's not enough soil. It's not that it's a hard path that it can't penetrate or that it's shallow and the roots just wither. But the roots are fine, but it's competing with all these weeds. It's not cultivated. How many of you guys garden around here? Like a lot. I know. That's one of the things you talk about when you come to the Springs Calvary Chapel. Guess what's in my garden today, right? And you understand you have to weed your garden. How many of you guys have gardened and had weeds? Raise your hand. A lot of you, okay? How many of you guys planted weeds? None of you. You get weeds and you don't even try. right? And this is how it works in life. and your Christian walk. As you receive the word of God, you may be blessed this morning as you come through the scriptures and you see Luke record Jesus teaching us about these mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and this good word that God wants to plant in your heart. But you walk out of here and, man, there's weeds. They suck the life out of me. They compete for nutrients and water and space and sunshine. And, man, i got to do something about those weeds. You know what you do? Tear them out. Get rid of them. Cultivate it, right? It comes with the fourth soil, the cultivated soil, the soil that's prepared. The farmer on the the land where we live, he's going to be putting in tomatoes next year. So, or tomatoes. (laughs) I'm from Idaho. (laughs) Potatoes. (laughs) Like, anybody know a farmer that farms a mile of tomatoes? We don't do that here, do we? Potatoes, right? But you know that potatoes, they, they require a lot of work. If you want to grow potatoes, it's a big investment, time and money and prayer. It takes a lot of prayer. But he had gone through and plowed up the fields. But one of the things he did, besides, he had these little uh, injectors that were going through the field. Not only were they putting in fertilizer, there was also a fumigator in there, which was killing everything in the soil, killing, you know, all the pests and all the bad stuff so that he would have this nice, clean, beautiful, pure field to plant those potatoes in next year and wouldn't have to compete near as much with the weeds. We need to go through and fumigate our hearts, our lives, our, our, our walk. If there's stuff that's competing with the word, We need to be careful about that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a balanced life. We should have a very balanced and beautiful life. God gave us every good and perfect gift. He wants us to be deaconos. He wants us to be servants. He wants us to minister. He wants us to get busy. Roll up your sleeves and go for it. Use your gifts and talents and be busy in the kingdom of God. But not just to be busy, but because it's a blessing. It's a pleasure to serve Him. It's your desire to serve Him. So Jesus kind of explains this whole parable. It says, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who have a heart, who have heard the word with a noble heart, or you could say an honest heart, or a beautiful heart, um, a perfect heart, a pure heart. The word is kalos in the Greek, and it means everything that's good and beautiful and and, and, and virtuous. Um, that heart that is ready to receive a good heart and keep it and bear fruit, with patience, with endurance. James would say in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's too soon to quit. Keep on going. Anybody ever see that movie, Faith Like Potatoes? Raise your hand. Man, I don't know if they have it on whatever, what, what are these things, Zulu or Pure Flix or whatever. You ought to go out and see it, but it's about a guy in Africa that goes and grows potatoes. And uh, he's been run out of one country to another, famine and, and warfare and everything, and he finally he g- gets to a place where he's rebuilding his life. He plants potatoes. And you're going along gangbusters. Everything's going good and everything. And finally, it gets close to the end of the year and time to harvest. And he goes outside. And what happened to his potatoes? The vines are all dead. They're dry. It's like, oh, this is, this is boom or bust. If we don't do it, we're done. We're toast. I don't know how we're going to live. And his potatoes, the vines are just totally toast. What does that mean, Farmers. They're just getting ready for harvest. The, the potatoes are down there, okay? But you're going to have to be patient, and you even have to subarize your potatoes. <laughs> you have to give them that opportunity for the vine to wilt and the skins to toughen up, and, and, and you're going to have a beautiful, beautiful harvest. But you have to understand, even in your good soil with good seed, it's going to take time, and there's going to be days that you are just wilting. You're not looking like good fruit, but it's there. Be patient. I'm going to continue in verse 16, and we're going to wrap this thing up. No one, when he has little lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Another parable, okay? A heavenly truth cast a line a worldly reality. The reality is you light a lamp. Why do you do that? So that you can see, so that it'll bring illumination. You do not put it under a basket. That's just, that'd be moronic. That just wouldn't be right, right? Um, and this is this simple to see. So as you are giving out that light, that hope, that glory, the glad tidings, the good news, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? You want to make sure that it shines brightly. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Take the light that God's giving you and let it shine to God's glory is the whole point here. But don't go around and hiding it. If you've received something good from the Lord, the kingdom of God, a truth from the kingdom, a seed of the gospel, then let it out, okay, and and God will do what he needs to do with it. It says in verse 17, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. It's all coming out anyways, so be about your father's business, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Let it shine, let it shine. Verse eighteen. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whatever does not have, will even even what he seems to have will be taken from him. It seems to have. You really don't have it. You think you got it, but you don't got it. You went to church. You heard a good word. You went out feeling good. You know, I've heard people say and and <laughs> say it about me, and I I own it. I guess, but it's like, man, I came to I come to church. I expect you to. Say something that makes me feel good so I can go home and feel good about myself all week. I'm like, well, okay, it depends on what chapter we're in. I guess you should read ahead. Then you can know what I'm going to talk about this week. You know, it's no secret. It's, It's revealed. You can see it yourself. But the truth will set you free. His word is health. It's life. It's light. And we we need to we need to be careful how we hear. Be careful how you hear. Are you hearing superficially, emotionally, self-centeredly, antagonistically? Or are you listening humbly, gladly, teachably, purposefully? If you are, that leads to more. Understanding, what God has given you, you just will build and build and build and build as you walk with the Lord. But if you're just if you're just trying to pick them apart and look for all the problems, even what you think you got, it'll be taken away from you. We need more ins- understanding, insight, illumination. Uh, worship people, come on up. Jesus would say in. The book. Of, well, actually, the angel said in the book of Revelation to John, as he falls at the feet of an angel, he says, Don't do that. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you're looking for that good word, the glad tidings, the good news, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And it's always going to be Jesus. And every time you bring forth that truth, that nuggle, that kernel, that DNA of good news, of Jesus Christ... It will accomplish that for which God sent it forth. And I'm going to close at this part right here. We started out with Jesus going from city to town to village, preaching, evangelizing with the 12 and those women who were following, ministering to him. Verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And I can imagine, you can see the dynamics of that. There's a whole bunch of people. It's really hard to get to Jesus. But it's his mom and his brothers, don't they get a special pass? Aren't they front row, right? And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, you can be sure Jesus wasn't dissing his mom and his brothers. He wasn't saying anything derogatory or negative to them. That's really not the point. You're missing the point if if you look at it that way. What he's trying to help his followers, his metetes, the learners, the disciples, he's trying to help us understand. We are as close to him as we want to be. As much as we love him and keep His commandments, we are His siblings, His brothers, His sisters in this world. Closer than a brother. And this is something that we enjoy. It's a great privilege and a great responsibility. Because a servant is not greater than his master. While he may be like him, he will never be greater than him. But our master is the great evangelist. And he goes out sowing seeds. And he has given us that opportunity to come right alongside him, to tuck in tight and just take that good news, that light, and let it shine. Broadcast that word of God, especially, as I would encourage you guys, as we see the day approaching. I know Christmas is coming up in a couple weeks, but even better, Jesus is coming back. Maybe this week. And we want to be about our Father's business. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunities you give us in life to glorify you, to give thanks to you, to worship you, to minister and to serve to you, and to declare you to the world about us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, not only would you reveal your will to us, but that, Lord, you would encourage us and empower us to, to do your will as you reveal it to us. Help us to be faithful to the end, gathering there, not only as the women were gathered at the cross, but I am so sure, Jesus, that they're gathered around you now, and they are excited to see that you are coming to bring the rest of us home. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for this church and every soul in it, And I pray, Lord, that good fruit would come from us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Habern, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.